welcome to Talent Savvy, the podcast that inspires you on all things talent. In today's episode, we will be talking about growth hacking, and we will be especially talking about all the qualities a great growth hacker needs and how those qualities matter to to growth hacking for recruitment, together with a lot of tips on growth hacks, how can you improve your recruitment, your candidate experience, and especially the number of quality applicants that apply. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Talent Savvy, the podcast that inspires you on all things talent. Today, I am joined by Marlies from Canada and a new co-host, Michael Delaney. Could you please introduce yourself to our audience? Indeed. Thanks, Baz, for having me along. So my name's Michael Delaney. I'm coming to you live from Melbourne, Australia. Uh, so I believe we have a tri-continental podcast going, people from all parts of the world, which is great. I am currently the head of people and culture for an e-commerce SaaS startup called Prezi. I've been doing startups since 2007. Uh, work for a couple of small brands you might have heard of, Salesforce, DocuSign, which obviously are not startups now, but they certainly were when I joined. And uh, growth hacking to me, very interesting because in the startup world, which is where I've spent most of my career, you end up having to do a lot of what might be classed as growth hacking as you're trying to grow the business out. And that is exactly the topic we are going to be discussing today, ladies and gentlemen, growth hacking for recruiters. What is it and how can we use it? Melise, you found an Amazing article on growth hacking. Would you mind sharing with our audience what it's about? Yes. First of all, I wanted to shout out Growth Tribe, who's the one who produced this article, which is, of course, in our show notes. But yes, this is kind of, we looked at the article about how you can hire a high-performance growth hacker. And it really talks about, you know, to summarize it, that this is a really unique type of hire And I think what we'll talk about today is kind of how all of these qualities can be found in recruiters. So they talk about a couple of things. The first is really this mindset of growth, which, you know, part of that is being willing to try new things, being kind of T-shaped. So having deep skills in particular areas, but also skills in a variety of areas. Of course, that systems thinking, being analytical, which I would believe all recruiters should be, but is especially important if you take on this mindset. And then finally, I think one area that isn't often thought about when you look at growth, which is kind of that kind of communication and stakeholder management. I've been studying growth at kind of the growth tribe equivalent in Canada called Grow Class. And the thing they emphasize the most is actually kind of how it all starts with your customers. So for us, maybe that's candidates, maybe that's employers if we're on the agency side. But really, if you can't think about who you're trying to target, none of kind of these tricks or hacks will work for you. Yeah, no. I what I really liked about uh, the article is uh, especially it was very specific on one of the things was you need to be anti-fragile, which mm. is basically you need to be able to take criticism really well. And it's actually one of the things I'm currently dealing with in one of my businesses where every comment you make about, and that's the second part, the system which isn't operating is taken as a personal criticism. So we're not going to change that or I have no, I, I just can't change that because it's not my department or whatever, which is an amazing problem and actually that's why i think startups are so much better at 
growth hacking. But Michael, you've been in this industry way longer than any of us. And I'm not making a pun on your age here, or actually I am. But, uh, <laughs> no, but, you wouldn't be the first one to do that, but that's okay. <laughs> the idea of a system thinker within the entire HR or recruitment process. So you need to be able to change the problems within it. Could you, could you share, for example, some of the growth hacking things where that system thinker mentality for you in the past really was necessary and where you change stuff which might for bigger corporate thinkers uh, be an issue? I think one of the things about startup life, and I think this aligns to growth hacking, and it did mention this in the article as well, is you have to be a real opportunist, right? If you're not prepared to change tack really quickly, you're not actually optimizing for growth. And we've seen this happen in technology, right? Every week there's a brand new technology that's the next big thing. You know, I mean, this is the thing that's going to change everything. AI is going to fix all of your problems. Um, you know, sourcing is going to fix all of your problems. The reality is, I think with growth hacking, it's a test and iterate model. You know, you start down a path, you have an idea, you have a thought process, um, you have a go-to-market, right? As a startup, one of the key things you have to do is build a market value out of nothing because no one knows who you are. So you've got to find ways to get out there and you've got to find ways to share that message and you can't just rely on the traditional, right? So, for example, in recruiting, right? Like I remember when job posts were the big thing. I remember when that came in and everyone was like, oh, wow, job posts, this is incredible. Then LinkedIn came in and it became everybody's best friend until it wasn't because we're now all oversaturated on LinkedIn. So it's how do you do things like personalization or how do you tell a story that's really intrinsically captivating, but do it in a way that's replicable? So automating as many processes as you can, whether it's you know web crawlers or AI sourcing tools, but being prepared to say really quickly, that's not working and we've got to toss that out and reapply, reapply, reapply. And I think that's the growth mindset. If you're not constantly looking for what else can you do and how can you do it faster, then you're not really thinking growth, in in my experience from startup world at least. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. And what I, what I was actually also thinking about, which which I found in, in some of my consulting gigs, in some places you just see where the bottleneck is, right? You see where the candidate drop-off is. For example, a register to apply. But being able to actually get that out, because... Um, and I'm thinking back, which was way before actually I'm turned into talent acquisition. I was in uh, remuneration uh, research. And within our research, I at some point found that there was literally, we, we asked over 100 questions. And there was one page where 60% of our drop-off of people filling out the inquiry was. And I looked at the page and immediately saw like, yeah, this is ridiculous what we're asking here. And do we actually need all of this? And the answer was No. And I skipped a page and I literally doubled the number of responses in this case, but that could be applicants, Absolutely. simply by being able to, to, to take out one simple page, which if you really asked, you know, was it nice to have? Yeah. Was it yep. me to have? Absolutely freaking no. <laughs> so that kind of system thinking is also, you know, if you, if you, combined with the analytical mindset, which uh, Marlies, you already said, everybody needs it. And then just go in and see where are people dropping off or 
not not engage. Well, what do you think? I think honestly, what you were just mentioning, like I've done that with my career site at Properly. It really resonated with what you said, Michael, about building a brand from nothing. I joined my last startup properly at 12 and grew it to 142 before moving on to I just started at Pinterest, which I don't know anything about them just yet. But honestly, one of the things we did is we paired with our dev team to take a look at our career site. Where are people clicking? Where are people dropping off? Do people click the apply button and not continue? And you can typically actually go into kind of your site tools and take a look. One of the other things we did is we took a look at how can we increase the SEO or the brand credibility of our career page by adding more employee stories, by changing the keywords. Anything that people look at as a growth hack, really recruiters have been doing for forever. I think we all know, well, maybe... And you two, um, you both look great for your age, by the way. I can't believe that you, you know, you're, you're both telling me about early days of LinkedIn. I was a teenager and just starting to be a teenager. So I think you're doing great. Really, I think the, uh, for example, I think we all know a personalized message. People are more likely to respond than to a mass message with no personalization. So there's things that recruiters know intuitively that really align with like growth and iterating. If your message isn't working, most recruiters don't keep sending the same one, at least not if they're a quick learner. So I think those are the types of things that recruiters do naturally that we may not attribute, but it really are growth tricks. Well, I actually think that a lot of them will keep sending the same messages over and over and over again, but the good ones don't. I recently actually got an outreach for somebody asking me to start at a, a junior sales role, which I was like, hmm, interesting. 20 years in my career and I get poached for a graduate role. <laughs> That's, yep. yeah. And the thing which I think is most essential with growth hacking, which is the difference between ordinary marketing or recruitment marketing and growth hacking, is the automation of it all, mm-hmm. which yeah. Recruiting Brain Food had an amazing article on using pictures to do the outreach, but actually being able to automate those pictures. Uh, Malise, you've read it as well. Do you want to share about that? Sure. So the article really looks at different automation tools. And I think we all know, like my favorite one on the market is Gem to kind of automate and add personalization to the message. And I've always found kind of Gem or tools like that really helpful because you can automate a lot of them, but it will even sometimes leave a line for personalization that you can kind of plug in quickly. But this actually was different. And it was kind of, I've had candidates or recruiters send me pictures with my name on it. But I always thought, what a waste of paper, you know, have to write it out all the time. So this new Brain Food article was really about kind of a tool that allows you to generate a message beside the person's LinkedIn picture. Now, in the example, it did look like a billboard that said, hi, I'm looking for you, which if I got a message like that, I may feel a little like it was a stalker situation. So I do think the message itself could use some refinement. But the idea of a tool to automate kind of this picture and this personalization, I think is really scalable. And the first thing I thought when I read it was I'm sending it to my sourcing team at Pinterest because 
for the first time in my life, I now have a sourcer as opposed to when I was in a startup, I've always done all of my own sourcing myself. <laughs> yeah. Now it's, it's, I was actually, one of the things I thought was thinking about in, in April, I had on my Dutch digital event, we actually had a guy who created personalized landing pages. So his outreach, so he, he approached people and he built one for me to to basically show me what he was doing and as soon as i clicked on that personalized link it wasn't like here's the job description it was like hey boss are you ready to move on from your name of your current job to this job and it it completely personalized the landing page so you basically got a personalized job ad uh, which actually could also reference certain skills you had in your LinkedIn. Uh, like he, you, you, he could search for if these, these or these skills are in his LinkedIn profile. We can say, listen, your analytical skills are why we think this is a great job for you or something. So, and that was actually a really great growth hack because he was able to manufacture those at scale. Michael, any thoughts? That's really fascinating because you think it is that ability to personalize, but at scale. Right, and because we all know when we get these things, it's not a personal message, but we still like the effort to have been made to personalize it enough so that we can convince ourselves someone thought we were special. I think we've seen some interesting things around systemization, and not necessarily to use LinkedIn as the the source all the time. But during the pandemic, we obviously saw the open to work circle appear, and that was a wonderful way of really quickly enabling people to mass broadcast themselves and enable a wider audience to be able to go, excellent, these are people that are looking for work. And I think the other thing the pandemic's done for us, because now remote work has become de rigueur, you know, it's no longer something you have to negotiate, or in some organisations still, yes, we're seeing that, you know, Elon Musk and the, the types like that, and mm-hmm. Al saying you must come back to the office. We see more and more organisations use that as a tool to try and personalize themselves and make that a real tool that you can access. And if you think about something with that article, like the LinkedIn helper and Highrise, what they did there was amazing. So if you can find the pool of people that you can appeal to and you can use, yeah, I saw the the billboard as well, Marley's, and I wasn't so sure about that also. I mean, it did look a little bit, you know, kind of like a wanted poster. But if you, we had a really interesting article that was um, here in Australia today, which I forgot to share with you earlier, but it was about a millennial candidate who'd received a rejection email and she'd replied back with a really quirky meme. And it was just you know, something funny, something different that got her a follow-up interview because she did something different. And it was probably not personalized at all. It's probably a meme that she's used 5,000 times with all of her friends. But to the person at the other end, it felt real, it felt new. And it was a way of just turning the situation around and making it different. And whilst that's not necessarily growth hacking per se, it's interesting to think that it's not just from the recruiter's perspective, but the candidates are trying to do this as well. Like they are building their own landing pages or their own living CVs or their own web crawlers to go out and find new roles for them instead of waiting for it to come to them. And so I think we're seeing this two-way street of it now start to occur where people are trying to take advantage of it. I totally agree that we're also seeing it on the candidate side because definitely I've had candidates send me like clear gem 
drip campaigns. And sometimes like recruiters, when they make mistakes, they don't turn it off after you respond. So then you get the automated email again. And I've just let them know, hey, I've been there. I'm in recruiting. This happens to me too. Just wanted to let you know that you may want to turn it off when somebody replies because I got I responded to them and then I got the email the next day. Hey, Marlise, I still haven't heard from you. And I was like, well, I know this, but I also understand. Unfortunately, for a lot of candidates, they have to apply for hundreds of jobs till they get, especially if they're maybe not in super demand. So why couldn't they use this and kind of hack their job search? And why couldn't we as recruiters kind of use this? I think there's a really powerful thing in automation kind of outside the sourcing to allow us to stay better on top of candidates and create a better candidate experience as well. Yeah, I actually remember the very first talk I uh, actually had Sophia give on uh, one of my international events, which we were still organizing back then, was uh, she also automated the entire outreach of uh, her sourcing. And basically she got, I think, a 45% reply from IT people on all of her sourcing efforts, because some people would call it she just kept stalking them. But uh, the, the, the realization was, and that's actually, she said that in a few episodes ago, people have lives. So the fact that they're not replying to your LinkedIn, the fact that they're not replying to your email might not be because they're not interested, but because their kid, their spouse, their whatever, their cat needed attention and they forgot and so i send all of these reminders and i think that's a really great growth hack another thing i really do want to uh, talk about because based on the the, the growth di- uh, tribe article there was another competence which they said you all needed as a growth hacker which was as they call it a t-shaped profile which is something i am a big fan of i actually believe i have one or actually I have two bottoms in the T, so it's not really a T anymore, but it's it's something I've written about, I think a decade ago in one of my, my Dutch books. Basically, it means you need to be really broadly engaged in all kinds of things, but have one deep specialism. And personally think that's so important for a growth hacker to have because you can't be a systems thinker if you don't have the upper of the T, if you don't understand how everything you're doing influences uh, the rest of the organization. But having that specialty, actually deep knowledge of sourcing, deep knowledge of recruitment marketing, deep knowledge of job description, whatever, makes it that you can specify that part, but understand how it interacts with the rest. And I, I often wonder, aren't we going to too many very specialist recruiters by having our sourcer, by having our recruitment marketeer? And don't we need people at least engaged at a certain level in order to be able to understand how we interact with each other within the the industry, Michael? Yeah, I would agree with that because I think we have seen hyper-personalization occur in all facets, right? In jobs, in approaches, in marketing campaigns, right? Everybody's building the persona and taking that persona on the journey and working out the touch points. And I think that's all wonderful. But if you don't have enough breadth, particularly, I think, breadth when you're in a smaller business, obviously, I'm completely biased. I will confess that bias. I've worked for a lot of startups. In startup land, you need to be across everything. You've got to be across positioning, brand, EVP, process, feedback, cycle, systems, manager feedback, candidate experience. 
But you've also got to go deep because if you don't go deep in something, you're right, it ends up being that really shallow experience and people can feel when there's no depth. And whatever it is you talk about, you don't have to know everything, but if you've got one topic that you can engage with people really deeply on, so they feel there is some congruence and some solidity to your knowledge, they'll also trust then that you must know enough about the other things to be really competent. It's a really hard skill set to find though, because we're encouraged more and more to become specialists. You work in a place, you start as a generalist, you do everything, then you hire someone else and you sort of carve it in half. And then you hire someone else and you carve it into a third and then you get bigger and suddenly you've got 10 people and your role is to hire all of the, you know, the SDR specialists in the Northern Rivers region of New South Wales who are going to be able to work between August and July. And that's kind of all you're doing. And it helps the business in some respects because you get replication and you get, you know, a power of someone really knowing everything about something. But I think it then forces you to become a business as usual person. Because you're just trying to do, you're trying to execute what you're doing to a flawless level so that you remove any friction. And that means you do it faster. It's not necessarily better, but it's certainly faster. And I would say that that broad and deep combination is absolutely essential, I think, for today's recruiter. And isn't it also the fact that it's uh, not just on the specialization within your company's profiles, but also within the recruitment? I've always been surprised that recruiters say, I don't know anything about employer branding and employer brand managers say, yeah, that's recruitment, for example. That's <laughs> mind-boggling. Um, yeah, so... so Shouldn't we as an industry, or actually one of the things which I do very often to make it an advice, I basically, I go to places there is no reason for me to ever be there. And I'm not just talking about going to conferences in Australia because there's a reason to be there. It was amazing weather while it was freezing in my own country. But I'm also, I, I literally once went to the Future of Shoes conference. I went to the non-executive directors meetup. I actually went to the big data in a refugee crisis scientific meeting just to broaden my scope. I had no reason. I knew nobody there. I was amazed by all the topics they were talking about, but it helped me think in a different way. Yeah, I think that's huge in my belief. And Bas, you know this, I like to pick on those that I have affection towards because I've been picking on Bas in his dating life for a while. But I like to pick on recruiters on this too. Like stop being so obsessed with recruiting and get to know the business or you'll never be a true partner. But going back to kind of your example, because I want to provide a practical tip because we probably have some recruiters that are at companies that they have to specialize on the SDRs in the northern Tasmanian city of whatever or something. Take the time to get to know other business units because we are going into a recession. And if you're very specialized, it may be hard for your business to see you as somebody they can move to other areas, whether that's taking a course in employer branding or volunteering to help another recruiter when they go on vacation, make sure to kind of get really deep, but also go broad, go to meetings of other business units, take the time to do something different for your own career. Because I think when we look at growth hacking, we can look at how do you help your, your business grow, but also how do you help your career grow by investing in some of these skills and helping yourself become that T-shaped professional You'll help career-proof your own career as a recruiter. 
And some recruiters I know don't have the choice. They're currently at businesses where they don't get to go broad. But then do whatever you can. Go to that meetup on shoes. Shoes are fascinating. One of my aunts is a shoe designer. But do something different. Meet different people. Get to know. And build your skill set in a wide variety of areas. It will always pay off if you're curious and genuinely go in and get to know people. All right. Then just to start wrapping up, do we have any specific growth hacking tips we want to give give our listeners? What can we do? What should you be able to look at or implement as just a growth hack to, to increase either the number of applicants, the number of good applicants, whatever? Uh, Michael, do you have a tip? Yeah. Look, automation. Anything that you can automate that is a high volume, but perhaps low value. And yes, nothing is low value in recruitment. Okay, we accept that. But some things have a lower value than others. So if you can automate anything that is a manual process that takes you time and therefore takes you away from providing whatever that extra level of service or expertise is, or as you spoke about, Malise, learning something different. Right? If you can give yourself back a little bit of time to go and learn something different and add something to your toolkit, you will be more valuable to your employer, you'll be more valuable to your own career, and you'll be more valuable to the people who are in your process. So automate as much as you possibly can, because it gives you time to add extra value elsewhere. Yeah, and to, to make a very specific, one of the things which we're now trying to do with one of my clients in automation as much as you can, interview scheduling. There is no reason a human should be involved in interview scheduling because it can only go bad. There's no added value for the human in there. And it takes, in the case of my client, an insane amount of time. Apparently, the recruiters were 20% of their time doing interview scheduling. So, yeah, how much time can you save? Absolutely. Marlies, you've got a great... Yeah, I'm going to combine a branding and growth tip. So I think one of the main things in growth that I'm really into right now is search engine optimization. Create custom landing pages for every single one of the jobs you work on. Um, Make that both branded and things like that. Put a lot of relevant information and then add in that personalization. You know, as Bass's conference colleague did, Make it so that when the candidate opens it, it's their name, you can add their email, do all of this and do this in a way so that not only can you drive more traffic to your site and hopefully get that candidate more interested, do it so that they have a better experience and are engaging in relevant content. If they're an engineer, they may not be as interested in kind of what an entry-level sales professional is going to learn on the career page. So why not create pages that really focus on that customer persona that you're trying to target and hire? Yeah. And to wrap up, my final tip is also on the automation side, but look at where do the people drop off? Look at your metrics and see if there's a very clear point of drop off. See if you can improve on that, whether it's On the career side, maybe it's your entire career side. I've seen a lot of people drop off on really badly written job descriptions. I've seen a lot of people drop off on their mobile devices, for example. And at one of my clients, we at that point said, you know what, let's not ask a resume on the mobile device because we can detect a mobile device. And you know, if that IT person, developer, is applying at our job, 
I don't really need his resume right now. I can ask that at a later stage, but I really want his application. Those kinds of growth hacks are really good by simply looking at the data and just seeing, you know, what are the differences? And another one which I actually had and we're talking high volume recruitment, uh, we found out that one of the biggest problems was actually uh, the cover letter. And we changed the cover letter to two questions. Uh, why do you think you're good for this job and why do you want this job? And our application rate went up 50%, which is exactly what you want to see in a cover letter. But we here had people without a degree who did not, who were scared about, you know, what do these educated people want to see in a cover letter? I'm not even going to apply. So look at the data. Where are people hanging off? What are people doing? I huge believer in data, use it all the time. And whether that's applicant data, website data, all of this data will help you kind of hone that systems thinking and kind of add these growth skills, you know, to your repertoire as a recruiter. And on that note, I would like to thank you all for listening. If you like us, give us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. If you love to sponsor us, get in touch as well. And we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.